Welcome to Kibi on Liberty. Okay, guys, it's so cool to finally have this conversation about AI. And I think we have like the entire spectrum of, of perspectives um, here tonight to um, the most dystopian AI is going to replace humans and we're all completely screwed to uh, this new technology, even though we don't fully understand the social implications of it, is going to make for something even more beautiful than we can imagine. And it's going to be a cool argument because it's exactly the same argument we've been having at Free the People, uh, usually after a couple beers and, and usually um, we resolve nothing, but maybe tonight we will solve all these problems. And I want to start with, uh, well, let's introduce the Free the People team first. You guys, you have met these guys before. Uh, we'll start with uh, Matt Battaglia. Uh, tell us um, who you are and what you do at Free the People. Uh, I'm executive producer at Free the People. I've directed documentaries like uh, All We Have, um, the Thomas Massey one off the grid. Uh, I produce a bunch of our work. We have a forthcoming documentary called The Free Life about a Cuban artist. I'm also a comic book artist. I have uh, a new book, House on Fire, coming out in March through Living the Line. So it's very and you, exciting. And you have opinions about AI, as I under, as I recall. Yeah, well, uh, thanks to our guests, uh, they 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 kind of drove me down the rabbit hole. If they hadn't told me about it, I think I would have been ignorant for a while. Yeah, <laughs> Logan, you would have been happier, man. Yeah, you would have been, been for sure. Not knowing, for sure. <laughs> and and it's possible that and Bataglia does all of uh, the artwork and creative at Free the People, so it's possible I'll be convinced by the end of the program to just replace you with an app. I was worried. Uh, that's why you were asking about how to use Midjourney earlier. So. I assume that's why you wouldn't tell me how to do it, because that, that might be a problem. I, um, I have no idea. <laughs> um, Logan Albright. Hey. Hello. Uh, yeah, I'm head writer at Free the People. I produce most of the scripted things that you see that we do. Um, I also write some music for some of our stuff. I've directed things. I just all around, you know, odd body, whatever you guys need done, I take care of. And since we're apparently allowed to plug things, I've got a book coming out in October called Libertarian Paganism, available fine bookstores everywhere. And tonight I'll be playing the role of techno-optimist. And, we, and we've already agreed to do an AI interpretation of your book when it comes out. Um, so that Who made that cool. cover? Yeah. <laughs> Probably an AI. Yeah. My publisher. So. Yeah. Carson. Uh, hi, I'm Carson Grubla. I'm a art professor. I teach at uh, Shelton State Community College in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I also moonlight for a couple of places that I used to adjunct for back in California. But I'm also a, a painter, fine artist, and now now comic artist. I was it, it got introduced into the comic world professionally, um, working with Dave Sim on The Strange Death of Alex Raymond. Eisner nominated, also published by Living the Line by that man down there, Sean. Oh, I don't know the order, but on my screen, Sean's <laughs> over there. Um, and then the, the next book that we put out was The Appalachian of Man, which was the first fully AI-illustrated comic. So I think that's why we're here. <laughs> that is why you're here. Sean? Yeah, uh, my name is Sean Robinson. Uh, I am a 
uh, it's always hard to say what I am. I'm a writer and illustrator uh, I, and a musician, and those are the things that I did for a really long time, and I kind of backwards uh, backed into publishing uh, through a few different opportunities. And uh, over the years, I had accumulated a lot of skills um, in pre-press and design uh, and just sort of happened into combining all these skills into being a publisher for the past, uh, I believe it's been, depending on how you count, a year and a half or two years now. And uh, one of the projects uh, that we most recently did was, as Carson indicated, uh, as far as we know, the very first uh, comic book that was entirely illustrated by AI. And uh, Carson and I both got exposed to this technology uh, back when it was first, I mean, really first there, uh, the end of May, when there was all of a sudden this rush for all these developers to, to get their product out the door. And Carson got early access to MidJourney and the very first thing he did when he popped in some text in there is text me a picture of it. And uh, I mean, I think my exact response to him is we're, we're all fucked uh, <laughs> because that, that was the first thing that both of us, uh, you know, thought in response to this. And when you when we first actually actually sat down and did it, uh, you know, it just had this incredibly uncanny response. I felt like I was half dreaming. It felt so much watching this image come out of the ether. It felt so much like the process that I go through visualizing something before I actually put it down on paper. Um, and, and so similar to that experience where you're almost asleep and you have these kind of phantoms uh, in front of you uh, as, as the, the noise of the night seems to resolve into images. And uh, it was such an uncanny experience that, um, I mean, it seemed like this was just totally going to be it. And uh, I guess we're going to debate whether this is it or not. Uh, but it's seven months later, and I'm still feeling like this is it. Yeah, uh, frankly. Uh, by by the way, I watched the teaser video for Abolition of Man, and it it was powerful and creepy, and I I think um, I think it it probably did um, service to the to what uh, C.S. Lewis was thinking about. Um, but um, maybe maybe AI is sometimes a, a good thing in the sense that it it creates um, unimaginable, unimaginably creepy things um, that maybe only a, a twisted mind could come up with. Yeah, well, and especially as the as the tech uh, existed at the moment when we made this, which was, you know, Car Carson did all of the, you know, all of this, this is Carson's, Carson's uh, view, view, but all this was done in uh, early June, and the tech at the time, the way that the, the images were processed and things like that, but it doesn't have a sense of hierarchy. Uh, to the images and so when you make an image especially of a human face or hand or a body because it doesn't have this same innate sense of hierarchy that a human being does you get this kind of schizophrenic image in which everything kind of looks right but then you look at it and it's got this sort of melting quality to it you know francis bacon for me was the was the the art historian you know in me picked out francis bacon as a as a as a point of reference because Bacon has that same kind of thing. Essentially, he's got like a madman's view of humanity. When you have a schizophrenic episode or, you know, the certain kinds of drugs can elicit this feeling as well, you, you lose a sense of hierarchy. That's what appeals to me, but also is so horrifying about those early kinds of AI images is that lack of hierarchy. Yeah. Carson, I, I think I saw you on another pod, um, you know, for for someone like me, AI art is a brand new thing. I I barely even understand what it is yet, but it's it's not a brand new thing, is it? 
No, and you know, I, I haven't really mentioned this. I, I was thinking about it the other day because I talked to some people for like three hours about AI and I never brought it up. But no, I guess to me, it's it's not new at all. It's this is uh, you know I've been thinking about these topics for almost twenty years now. And I would say there there's a history of generative art that goes back into the 1960s with a group of artists called the Algorists. And I don't know why I've never brought them up because they're massively influential to me in, in around 2000, summer of 2010 is when I first started reading about them. Um, so there's a lot of guys that have been programming their own art generating AI since the 60s. And uh, it, it, it's just it was always programmed to produce a specific vision like they were trying to program uh, to get their art or they're doing transfer. Like there's a guy named Roman Verotsko who he would he would do. And the reason I got to them is because I was doing this in my own art, but I don't know how to program. So I was doing things by hand. So he would take something like a body of text and then apply some rules to it. And then you could turn a body of text into like plotting lines in our Cartesian coordinate, or you could turn a body of text into a grid of colors or something like that. And um, there, the, yeah, so, and then there's other people who would have their art style and then they would try and program an AI to do that. There's a guy named Harold Cohen who has a project called Aaron and he's been working on that since the early seventies. And that's an AI that was trained to make images, but they didn't have the text to image thing. And they didn't have the, the big development that Dolly 2 came out with that then Midjourney and Stable Diffusion jumped on is the diffusion models process that allows it to have pretty much an infinite range of topics that it can cover where all of those earlier ones are very bounded to like this type of thing. The, the Aaron project was less bounded um, but it had a one style that it kind of learned. And I don't, you know, again, I'm not a programmer, but algorithmically generated art is something that I've been messing with to, since 2007. Uh, this just puts it over the edge to where I think now it would pass a Turing test. And I don't think, well, I don't know. It's hard to say, but the ability to put in whatever word you want and get an image back is something new and and way different than anything that I've seen before. At Kibbe on Liberty, freedom is a lifestyle 24-7, something you live and breathe and wear every day. If that describes you, you need the very best Liberty swag in the market today, just like this shirt I happen to be wearing. Go to freethepeople.org slash KOL and check out our exciting merch. You too can love Liberty and look cool. You can think about the the earlier algorithmic or transformative stuff as much more narrow in spectrum. Uh, somebody targeting one particular type of uh, application, uh, similar to uh, you know music that was algorithmically generated prior to um, the advent of computers. Uh, you know you can make a formula for it. You can try to decipher what the formula is, and then you can kind of break the specific particular thing down. But the breakthrough, the diffusion. Uh, model. This is cracks the whole thing open. Uh, well, and it, it's it's a it's a neural network that's learning, whereas these other ones are pre-coded. It's an algorithm, and the algorithm can do this. The Harold Cohen one seems a little bit more open, but otherwise, it's pretty much an algorithm, and it may randomize the variables to get a result. But it's not something that's constantly learning because that they, I I don't know when the idea of neural networks came in, but in the 90s and early 2000s, it was very much when you would talk about 
AI or a chatbots trying to pass the Turing test or something. It was very much just the rules and the coder would have to come up with the whole code. And um, actually one of my professors, I think was the first person, one of the guys I, I uh, took classes with at Berkeley, he was using Martin Heidegger's arguments about, uh, he's a phenomenologist, so being embedded in the world, he was arguing you'll never be able to program something to be intelligent you're gonna have to come up with a way to like set something loose in the world and let it learn. And that's the only way you'll become intelligent. And so when I was at Berkeley in like 2005 to 2007, I think that's when people were just starting to accept that argument. And so you started getting neural networks, like very, and again, I'm not a total historian on this, but I think that's about the time that approach started being considered. And now it has blossomed very quickly it looks like and so that that's part of the big difference as far as i can tell is that it's going to be constantly learning from here on out so i want to lay out the these extreme parameters that 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 i suggested and i'm going to let uh um, i'm going to let logan start and and make a defense of of technology and and how um it is that i think logan you would argue that we will not be replaced by robots and everything is going to be fine that is indeed what I would argue, yes. This is an argument that kind of comes up every couple of years and has for the last 2,000 years, as far as I'm aware. Every time there's a new technology introduced, people are upset about the jobs that it's going to cost. And it was identified by the economist Joseph Schumpeter as something he called uh, creative destruction, where this new creativity like destroys an old way of doing things, but replaces it with a new way of doing things. And every time people say this is unlike previous times, this is sort of some sort of like unique um, circumstance that's different than every time that came before. And every time humans adapt, that's the thing that we're best at. We adapt to things and we come up with new tools and we come up with new ways of, of uh, expressing ourselves. The amazing thing about consumers is that consumer wants are basically unlimited. And so there's always uh, a need for people to do things for each other. You're never gonna run out of things for people to do for each other. And every time when a, when a horse and buggy is replaced by an automobile, when a uh, hand loom is replaced by an automated loom, people are worried about the jobs it's gonna cost. It always just creates new jobs. And if you're gonna make the claim that this is some kind of like, this time is different. This is a completely unique situation. I think you need some pretty strong evidence to back that up because that claim has been made before. It's never been correct. We've always had stuff to do. We've always found new ways to incorporate it. And, um, you know, you guys brought up uh, generative music, which is something I'm really interested in. This composer, Brian Eno, is one of the most influential and creative composers over the last 50 years, has been very in uh, interested in generative music and coming up with algorithms that create music and things that you just basically plant the seed rather than writing all your notes out and let it generate itself. And he doesn't see it as a limit to his creativity. He sees it as a tool to increase his creativity and come up with new things. And there's, there's all kinds of stuff you can do with that. The player piano, when it was invented, didn't eliminate the need for pianists. It created people a new set of tools. And there were composers who composed specifically for player pianos and come up with new things that humans couldn't possibly do. There's in particular a Mexican composer named Conlon Nancaro who does really interesting compositions for player piano. Um, there's just, it's a tool. Like anything else, it's a tool. Tools can be used for good. Tools can be used for evil. But in the way I see it, it's going to be something that will be uh, used to increase human creativity, not limit it. And these same arguments were made when the camera was invented. People said, well, the purpose of art, is, the purpose of painting is to capture reality. And now we have a button you can press to capture reality flawlessly 
without any effort on the part of the artist. This is going to destroy art. And what people did is they, first of all, photography became an art in itself. Second of all, people came up with abstract painting and came up with new ways of using paint. Um, and so I don't think we know what the consequences of AI art are going to be, but based on all of human history and my understanding of how humans adapt to things, my assumption would be that this will be a tool that we can use in new and creative ways that we haven't thought of yet, and that there's always going to be ways for people to express themselves creatively, and that's not going to change. Well, Logan, you've got about five <laughs> strings of argument there. Uh, so let me take the first uh, the first analogy that you pulled out there, which is the sure. loom. Uh, there has never been a person, as far as I know, who has decided that the loom and weaving uh, with a simple machine is uh, a fundamental thing that separates us from the animals. Uh, there has never been, as far as I know, a person who has argued that the loom uh, is, you know, fundamental to our rights of humanity to express ourselves with our looms. Uh, art making, image making, uh, music making, as far as we know, are the first activities that human beings did with their free time. Uh, as far as we know, they are in it's possible that they are intrinsic to us as a species, that they are intrinsic to our thought processes, that they are intrinsic to our needs. What happens to those things when they are supplanted by something that is exterior to us? Uh, what happens to the need to create when that need to create can be artificially and unnaturally satisfied in a way that doesn't actually involve the person that feels as though they are gener generating or making the thing. Uh, this might be fine for me. It might be fine for Brian Eno, especially might be fine for Brian Eno because he's already made tens of millions of dollars and doesn't need to rely on an income stream uh, in order to keep his skills at the level that he wants to. He doesn't have to have his labor uh, be resulting in uh, you know, a, a token that enables him to continue to survive. Uh, Brian Eno is going to be totally fine, and Brian Eno can have all the generative music that he wants. Uh, but a young Brian Eno is not going to get to the point where he's going to pick up a keyboard and uh, is not going to be able to, you know, go through the long labor of developing his skills if there's no incentive for him to do so. If uh, he's cut off uh, from the the process that he's going to need to get through in order to do it uh so like uh, yeah i have to about that real quick go ahead, uh, you you said that creative activity is the first thing that humans decided to do with their free time and then a few minutes later you said that no, no one will do this unless there's a financial incentive to do it it seems to me that those are two contradictory statements ah, ah I, I, <laughs> I i i did not say that someone no one will do that while uh, unless there's a financial incentive to do it i'm saying i as a 43 year old man I'm not going to do it unless there is financial incentive for me to do it. I am not going to continue to use the skills that I have uh, unless I am able to provide for my family with those skills. Uh, and, and you know, you can you can say that oh, this is just the industrial revolution for artists, which, by the way, I think it actually is. But are we happier because the industrial revolution happened? I mean, I, that's the that's the other supposition that you had in your argument is that we as a species are better off now that we live in close proximity to each other, surrounded by loud sounds all the time, uh, not able to get away from each other, uh, you know, surrounded by polluted rivers and uh, jets falling out of the sky and fires burning, <laughs> uh, you know. I mean, uh, those things were very different prior to the Industrial Revolution. So there's a lot of suppositions packed into the, the Yeah, we also here. had to hire people to come into our houses and take our waste away, which we don't have to do anymore. So there's pluses and minuses. I'm a so, fan of indoor plumbing. Yeah, <laughs> um, that, that's, that your your planes falling out of the sky seems like 
a great way to segue to Bataglia's uh, catastrophic vision <laughs> of how AI is going to destroy everything that's beautiful and right. Well, I, I kind of, I'm going to echo a lot of what Sean said, but but I'd like to add, and this is something that, that um, you know, Carson and Sean and I have talked about too, and and this is the, my feeling about the AI and, and AI, the, the, the chat GPT is now like writing stuff and whatever. Um, it's simply that, that you you remove any meaning from the thing that's made. I, I, typing in a prompt minus, you know, you get whatever the picture is made, but there's nothing, like it doesn't mean anything. And I think that it's the sort of ultimate expression of, of this long line of like Marvel filmmaking where, where it's all just empty bullshit. Um, <clears throat> and there's no humanity left in any of it. And so to me, the end, end result of, you know, sort of remake, culture and remix culture is this AI thing because we keep destroying things that matter and turning it into sort of just a product for the sake of product. Like it's just content for content sake. And there's no, there's nothing about the human experience being said anymore with, 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 you know, that's what this all means to me. And I think that that's terrifying. Um, I, I, I found that it just personally in my life, like making art and, and sort of being able to engage with art, uh, you know, for me, primarily comic books, but has had a profound influence on my life and has taken, you know, kept me out of some, you know, I make really dark art, but that's the only reason why I've like, I'm not, I'm a much happier person. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so, um, I, you know, and then my other worry is just like, like Sean said, is that, you know, it, if you're a young person today and you have these sort of AI tools where you can, you can skip all the hard work of, of actually honing these skills and, 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 you know, uh, you know, building up an ability like, I do think that that's a tough, it, it, it makes it that much harder to stick with something like making art. Um, you know, I, I don't know that you'd get to the point where you feel, where you actually get the sort of, you know, the emotional like uh, feedback from making art, you know, if, if you're constantly faced with this technology that, um, that can get you this end result that is better than what you'd ever dream of being able to do by yourself. I mean, you know, I, I know that I could go into mid journey and probably and type in a prompt and get a picture that is a much um, better like picture than what I could make with my hands. But um, I would feel nothing from it because it, it's not, you know, there's no there's no expression. But I just I don't know that if you're, you know, let's say you're five or whatever, you know, when you get faced with your first computer and you you see the AI like what? I think that there's a serious psychological component to this. That's, that's a real problem. And, and, you know, we see it with kids in like social media and the internet and all this stuff where it's really screwing up people's brains. And, um, I don't think it's all good. Uh, I don't think that this is just the industrial revolution. If you've made it this far into the show, it means I must be doing something right. Kibbe on Liberty is just one of the amazing products we created for the people. We tell emotionally compelling stories and produce educational videos for the Liberty Curious. Our award-winning documentaries personalize all things Liberty, independence, creativity, hard work, integrity, and perseverance. After the show, check out our work at freethepeople.org. 
And if you like what you see, donate to support what we do. That's freethepeople.org. Now back to the show. Um, Car- Carson very had an intriguing philosophical framework for this. Carson, would you tell them about the um, Luciano's uh, framework? And you, you, you kind of on the fly came up with that in our interview with uh, Dave McKean. I thought that was an incredibly insightful thing. And I always come back to that in conversation with other people about this. Yeah, so that's the the psychological thing. And I, I think that's a bigger problem for me. Like like in terms of job replacement and stuff, like I get I get Logan's argument and I agree. That that's just that has always happened, that always will happen. Um and I'm not uh, I'm not 100% apocalyptic about this because this is not uh general AI. It's it's not strong AI. It's weak AI still. Uh, it's domain specific and it can only it can only do the one thing it it can't formulate its own plans it can't navigate the world it, as far as we know you know so uh, i do think this is a big step towards strong ai because you're developing a language brain and or sorry you're developing an image brain and then chat gpt is developing a language brain and right now ais are all very domain specific um i'll, I'll come back to the bigger uh, four revolutions point you, you mentioned. But well, another thing Luciano says is right now, robotics and AI have to exist within a box. Um, so you, you can't make a Jetsons robot that can cruise around your kitchen and do the dishes for you. That's going to be very hard to do because you have to have edge recognition and all of this higher level stuff. But we've had robots that wash dishes for years because we built a box, you know, and we put the dishes in the box and it does the dish. So we're, we're, we are slowly turning the world into a box for these things. And I think right now they're all constrained to their own domain, but eventually those are like developing pieces of the brain that will link up. And that's the path to strong AI. And that I think is the 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 argument against Logan's standpoint of like, well, you know, we've always said this, we've always said this, we've always said this. Yeah, we can replace jobs, but when you when you create a new, better intelligence, then we're fucked. And we are headed that way. Or not necessarily fucked, but we are now not the only sentient creatures on the planet. We have some kind of tribalism. That could be good for humanity, like to bring us together, but also we could be dealing with, you know, robot overlords or at best and at worst things that are so disinterested in us that they consider us like ants and they'll just dump molten lead down into New York just to, you know how we'll do that shit? The ants will pour leads down and then we'll pull it out and we're like, this is what an ant colony looks like. <laughs> like, that is kind of the long-term <laughs> argument against what Logan's saying is, yes, up until now, but there will be a point, supposedly, and that's what C.S. Lewis is saying, and I think his argument stands, that there is a point where man's intentional conquest of nature flips back and man loses. Um, And that's Abolition of Man issue one, that's C.S. Lewis's essay, and I think we can make Logan's argument over and over and over and over again until the one time you can't, and that's the end of a logical technological process. Uh, the other point, Luciano's point, um, and this is where I think is a psychological point, which will be devastating and we'll have to deal with it. But Logan's correct that we have always dealt with these before is the psychological decentering or an ontological decentering from our understanding of what we are and what our place in the universe is 
as special. So Luciano says there's been four of those. Uh, the first one's the Copernican Revolution. We're not the center of the universe. We're not God's special creature that he put at the middle anymore. And we have to accept the that. And that came with massive psychological consequences and societal consequences, right? When you War get rid of that view, death it changes and, it. Yeah. It changes everything. Yeah. Um, then the the second revolution would be the Darwinian revolution. So the Darwinian revolution was, well, we're not the center of the universe, but at least we're we're not animals. We're this other special rational thing, or at least you have Aristotle, like we're the only rational animal or whatever. Um, and and so you take that out and you're just another animal amongst the animals. And that had its own massive. I mean, it still is right. Like we're still evolution don't teach that in school and like we're still having a hard time with that a, a huge part of society and then like pretty soon after you get freud who's like you're not even the center of your own mind you've got a subconscious and unconscious mind with all this shit driving you that you don't even know about so this idea of being rational at all is like out the gate you know uh that's under attack and then the fourth revolution which is uh, I, I, it seemed when we talked to luciano that he was suggesting this is just part of the fourth revolution but he's saying we're realizing that the world is at uh, existence itself can be at the broadest level of abstraction that covers the most is just d data. And that we are packages of data like everything else. So not only are we not at the center of the universe, not only are we not special animals, not only are we not in control of our own mind, but we're just data, packaged data like anything else, a rock, a wall, any of that. And so we're we're no more special than that. But Luciano's argument in the fifth issue of Abolition of Man is, is that that has entirely decentered us. So we can no longer see ourselves as the center of anything. But we can't, and so you can't have an anthropocentric view of the universe that makes sense or drives any kind of moral or ethical decision making. So you need an anthro-eccentric, where you just say, well, we're this special weird little thing that's orbiting around existence, looking at it from our view with, with our, uh, you know, and, and the thing that makes us special is where this, he calls it the beautiful glitch. And the beautiful glitch is the thing that looks at all of this data chaos and hallucinates meaning, right? We look at the chaos of the world and our particular filters, we have a biotic membrane. So that separates like data from just material world. And then you separate the material world, uh, like uh, con cognitive you get life and then consciousness, you get self-consciousness and with self-consciousness comes the need for meaning and the ability to make meaning. And I would argue against him that that's not just part of the information revolution, but now we're in a fifth revolution where we are no longer the only meaning making creatures. So our special anthro eccentric status as the only meaning makers is also now under attack. And I said five months ago when we talked to Dave McKean, that's going to be a real problem and it's going to lead to some really bad views. And what, like earlier this week, the, the writer from the Times UK mm -hmm. made the argument and I was like, fuck, I predicted that, right? <laughs> and so this guy came out and not only did he say it's great that we're taking creatives off their pedestal, 
but he he said the creative impulse is a hangover of the 19th century uh, when we lost all those other things, we said, well, we're not special to God anymore, but at least we're creative. And that's that makes us special. And he was saying, now we know we're not. And whew, like and he was trying to diminish the creative impulse. And that is psychotic, satanic, evil, suicidal view for humanity to take upon itself because that's it. And and the the problem that in that guy's viewpoint is he wants to downgrade the massive acts of creativity, the the Shakespeare's and the people that we hold up on a pedestal for their massive contributions to the meaning of human society. We should be valuing those. What he should have done is argue that we need to start revaluing the small acts of creativity. And whether there's something else that can do that or not, that's what gives our lives meaning in an absurd universe. And so we need to value, this is my argument against that guy, is we need to value the fact that if you take your kids, any any of you that have kids, on a walk, and you find a rock, and you pick it up, and you bring it home, um, you know, he was saying, he was saying not everyone has that big novel, not everyone's going to be Shakespeare. Mm-hmm not everyone's creative and it's like bullshit you pick up a rock you bring it home that becomes a meaningful object in your family you've been creative and if we devalue that we're we're fucking done i give a shit about jobs i could give a shit about all that other stuff we are psychologically done if if that argument sticks and that attitude holds right and 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 you know this is the thing that i was saying about the industrial revolution uh and logan's you know, uh, formulation, initial formulation. I'm sorry that we just bulldozed over you since then. We'll let Logan defend himself next. <laughs> uh, just give me one, one second. I'll, I gotta push, push one more time. Um, no hurry. <laughs> meaning, meaning making. I mean, you could, you could make a very strong argument that meaning making really is the thing. Uh, and, and, you know, I, the thing that the piece that I have come to terms with this horror that I saw, seven months ago is okay this other thing also makes meaning or okay there's a certain amount of narcissism in the human image response that enables this unthinking thing to also make meaning but it's okay it can be in part of the party you know it's okay it can be it can be part of the party i can still make my own meaning without it Um, but but the 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 thing is is that there really uh were when people were um basically farms became more efficient quote-unquote more efficient and people stopped farming. Well, guess what rich people do these days? Uh, they go out and they get their garden, and they go out and they garden. They cultivate because it's fun, because it means something to them. Uh, they go out and they have a personal trainer. How is it? Uh, none of these people who were, uh, you know, envisioning the the world of the future in 1847 or whatever, uh, thought to themselves that all of the rich, you know, kings were going to be, uh, you know laboring away underneath a, a dumbbell uh and and we're gonna be uh planting flowers i mean because because those are the things that give us meaning and as soon as we have space we want them back in our lives and uh you know uh, it's possible that that's where we're going to be with art is that all the rich people get to do it is it aren't, aren't you sort of making i feel like you're almost making a critique of your own stance because the the thing that i'm struck by is we you know we we don't fully understand um, technology. We don't know what's going to happen with AI, but a couple words I want to glom onto is meaning, and um, and and creativity, 
And I feel like those, by definition, are human characteristics. These are things that 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 make us different. They make us different than robots. They make us different um, than animals, except for my cats, who are incredibly sophisticated thinkers. <laughs> um, and and I want to I want to get into meaning, but I want to I want to sort of lay out. I'm an economist by training. I'm not an artist, but um, my brand of economics has is is uh, fundamentally critical of of that sort of mathematical economics that would would reduce people and human action into an equation because we're far more complicated than that and there's this there's this raging debate in economics about um, the notion of entrepreneurship and is entrepreneurship simply someone that's smart enough to take all of the data and all of the existing understandings of of technology and production and consumer demand and an infinite number of other inputs and as an entrepreneur simply someone that says you know what if i rearrange that stuff just like this i'm gonna come up with something that that no one ever thought of before um versus and and this is sort of my school of thought like i, I view entrepreneurship as 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 creative judgment about an imaginary future that's fundamentally different than what we live today and that's that's part of the the spark that drives economics is the difference between just sort of rearranging things based on what you knew happened in the past and in a lot of ways uh, people uh, can be dumb animals like we just we do a lot of things that we don't even know why we do it we we do it because we did it yesterday we do it because our parents did it before us and we don't even think about it we just do it and that's that's a practical rational way to do many things in life but then there's this this little spark called creativity that is unique to human beings and and it's literally the idea that you would do something that didn't exist before and to me um, art at its best very much does that and it's very much a human quality and going back to the what Carson was saying earlier and the the um, even the Brian Eno example I'm, I'm not sure uh, uh, generative music exists without Brian Eno's creative spark and and I'm not a technologist so I don't know if if they actually have plans to to, to generate that with with a computer but but I think that's a fundamentally human thing. And I think uh, we need that in our lives to be human. And that's where we get meaning. And the reason we go back and start gardening again is that um, we need it. Um, we need some purpose in our lives. And and I've seen you guys pot on this. So it's 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 a fascinating subject to me. One of the one of the fundamental dilemmas in in modern life is that we're almost to the point of post scarcity and I, I say that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek because scarcity will never go away but we're at a point where we don't worry about the things that our grandparents worried about am i going to be able to feed my family today like these these are not things that that um burden us and and drive us and and that might be your fundamental only purpose in life and now we're struggling to find meaning because the things that we used to have to worry about, we don't have to worry about anymore. So now, now we lean on on more um, complex things to find meaning. And I, I'm I lean towards Logan primarily because 
I, I think we don't, we don't ex exactly know what technology is going to do for us, but we know that we have this infin infinite capacity to work things out, to figure things out, to reimagine ourselves, to recreate ourselves, to find um, collaborators in that process. And I, I, I don't know how that works, but I know it's going to work. So, so uh, I, I think what you can hold two ideas in your head at the same time, um, and I don't think that they're necessarily contradictory. Uh, one is is that uh, I think that your view of uh, of creativity and the genius of creativity is actually a little naive from a craft standpoint, uh, because uh, the more that you study any particular era, the more you realize that each of these people was standing on the shoulder of the person prior to them, uh, and the the sort of by the way. Know, I I fundamentally agree with that. 99.99% of of all the, what we call perhaps inappropriately creation is really just us uh, stealing from our um, creative ancestors. Yeah, and, and mixing it up in a way that is new to you or new to your level of technological development. Uh, and you know, you have you have Michelangelo, and then you have Bernini, uh, and Bernini uh, had better marble. And Bernini had people who uh, helped him when he was 11 years old. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and and the two, even though you, you want to compare them, right? Uh, the the situations were so different. And even 40 years of technological innovation uh, was helping one bypass the other. Uh, so that that's that's the first thing is is that you know uh, creativity, in my estimation, is a primarily uh, imitative act. Uh, you learn how to imitate at the beginning. Uh, you continue to learn how to imitate, and when you when you hit something that feels right to you, you keep on doing that thing. And uh, sometimes it's just the thing that's you know uh, the flag that you have to have to plant in the ground, and that's that's where you hang everything else that you do. But um, uh, that so that that's the one thing. And then the by, other by thing the way, is, so so I agree with that, and I think I think we're seeing a a point where um, my primitive understanding of AI art is is basically that it's imitation. It's generative imitation of of things that other people have created. When I use the word creative, I'm I'm literally talking about creation, something fundamentally unique, and it's it's a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of of the creative process. It's it, but that part is the human part. Well, yeah, and and, and this is something that uh, when we talked to Dave McKean, you know, we were we were blessed to have this amazing conversation with Dave McKean right at the beginning. Of all this stuff. I'm sorry, Dave. I got him in in mid journey and uh, sent him on a. Uh, spiral of depression <laughs> that lasted three weeks and ended up with him making an amazing book called Prompt. Uh, and uh, we, we anyway, we got to talk to to, to Dave. And um, one of the things that he oh, I've totally lost track of my, my thought here. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, should should, should well, we let Logan talk? <laughs> yeah, let, let, let Logan go. <laughs> I really think that Sean made a great point in saying that the existence of mechanized farming doesn't preclude people from gardening and finding meaning from that. What the existence of mechanized farming does is prevent you from worrying that if there's a bad harvest, you're going to starve to death, which is kind of nice. I think that's great. Um, I like not starving to death. And I think, you know, AI art is sort of a, a comparable thing. I don't see why it's different. I have not been persuaded that it's fundamentally different. It's we can still create art. We can still create meaning. But the fact that we have this additional tool to help us uh, create images I think is very useful. And I like, I thought Battaglia's point about um, kind of the emptiness of this imitative AI art, which was what I've experienced from looking at it, is very good. And like, to me, the purpose of art 
is to express ideas, whatever form that art is, whether it's music or writing or, or visual art or photography, you have a, a concept of the world or some idea or some, um, some emotion that you want to convey to an audience. And as of right now, and we can revisit this argument if AI becomes more advanced, but as of right now, AI is not capable of generating its own ideas the way that humans can. And I think there will always be a market for people who want to consume other people's ideas and see what they have to say. I mean, I know that Pataglia just talked about Marvel movies. I'm not a fan of Marvel movies myself. I find them derivative and uh, uninspiring. Um, there are people like us who, who want to pay for things that are new and have a point of view and express something unique. Um, and AI art as of right now is not capable of doing that. And I take Carson's point very seriously that, you know, if we get a genuine, a genuine creative AI that is actually able to use imagination and come up with new ideas, then we may have to revisit this. It may be something to consider. But as of right now, I think there's always gonna be a market for hearing what other humans have to say. I'm not worried about that going away. And AI as it exists right now is not capable of conveying ideas in the same way people are. It's just another tool that can make life a little bit easier for people who need images to, for commercial purposes mainly, I would say. But as a, as a person who's done the low level illustration that's being eliminated by this AI, I can tell you that a, a client who is not visual does not have an idea. I'm just going to say that one more time because it's worth repeating. A client who, who is not visual doesn't have an idea. They have what they think is their idea. And, and your job as an illustrator, the person who can visualize it, is to take this cloud of sentiment and anxiety and topics and turn it into something that crystallizes those things and gets to the actual thing that they want. But the thing is, is that you don't, an idea is not, Rene Magritte doesn't sit down, didn't sit down and say, I want to make a fake looking pipe. Man, that would be funny if I had a fake pipe. He had to paint the thing. The, 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 the process of making it makes the meaning. Uh, it, it doesn't just, it doesn't just appear from, you know, this, the, the words are not the thing. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, artists have done themselves a disservice by cup decoupling, uh, the physical product, I think from, um, you know, from, from the art making itself, because this is what has, you know, opened this door from it. But basically like, I, I, I disagree fundamentally with the idea that, um, somebody sitting down and typing a few sentences into something is a creative act. Um, they are no different than the client who doesn't know what they want until they see it. Mm -hmm. Well, and Sean, photography did the decoupling, right? Like, Right. Like when we when we talked about when Logan talked about photography earlier, um, any dissatisfaction anyone has with the state of modern art where people are or contemporary art where people are taping bananas to walls, that's because of photography. A hundred percent. Those arguments about what count as art weren't possible until photography came along. You wouldn't have had Marcel Duchamp or people like that without photography. Um, I would also say that what we all keep going back to with meaning, creativity, all of that, the second psychological risk that's tied to the first one I mentioned is we are going to, if we haven't already realized that we aren't creative in the way that we think. It's not the special magical power. It is as procedural as what's going on in the AI. Um, it may not be to the level that we are at yet and it may never get there i believe it will i believe it actually could and and we need to separate meaning out into two categories as well to actually have a, a useful conversation about that but um i do think it could have 
today. It could have ideas in the sense that if you showed a person who didn't know something was like, like Dave McKean was able to pull a joke out of the AI and he, he said, well, you know, maybe it put that in there or maybe I'm just making it up. Um, so first off, it's, it's going to show us that we, and this is C.S. Lewis's point, there will come a point, and the whole point of AI in the first place is it's a, it's a quest to understand ourselves, right? If we can make a thing that is intelligent and we made it, then we understand what intelligence is, and we've been trying to do that the whole time. But Lewis's point is as soon as you do that, you have mechanized intelligence, you've broken it down into a completely controllable thing, and we've lost all specialness. And there will be a few people who will be in control of the mechanics and their use of it will be entirely based on their whim at the moment. Um, so that's one thing is, is we may actually, like creativity and all of that may just be made up as words and we're gonna just deconstruct the magic and turn it into science. The, the second one is meaning, sorry, go ahead, Logan. Oh, sorry, I just wanted to try to understand your point. I'm not sure I'm quite picking it up, but um, like you talked about all these different revolutions. Do you think that the the realization that the Earth is not the center of the universe is a bad thing? Do you think we'd, we'd be better off if the Earth was the center of the universe? No, no, no. I, that's why I said, like, obviously these had psychological impacts and we've dealt with them all before. Right. And okay. and but C.S. Lewis's point pushes it to the very end, which is when you turn all human nature when human nature has been conquered by science which means it's everything is a hundred percent explicable and a hundred percent recreatable whether that be through chemical manipulation of the brain or quantum manipulation of every you know state of atoms in your body or whatever it is when we get to that point where we have full scientific understanding which again maybe never but if we get to that point then we are no longer any kind of free will. There will be someone who will have the controls to that and their decision on how to use it will be based entirely on their whim, which is their nature. And so in the end, nature wins um, the conquest of nature. So that that's kind of, it's, that's can, a different argument than the, the revolutions one. I think, you, I think if it's just a psychological revolution, we'll integrate that. And yeah, it's, it's truth about the world, right? We're not the center of the universe. Um, it's going to be a truth that we're going to have to learn that we're just procedural meaning makers ourselves. That can be explained 100% scientifically. Yeah, and that nope. could be a thousand years from now. I don't. Yeah, know. And, and nobody <laughs> wants that. I mean, it's not like this is a palatable thing. Um, I, 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 it's, it's, you know, it's, it's repugnant. But that doesn't mean it's not true. I, Thank you for joining me today on Kibbe on Liberty and for being part of our fiercely independent audience. Every week, my organization, Free the People, partners with Blaze TV to bring you this show. My guests bring smart perspectives on everything from current events to timeless philosophical debates. If you like what you hear, go to freethepeople.org KOL and support Kibbe on Liberty so we can continue to produce these honest conversations with interesting people. Now, let's get back to it. Well, I, I, science I, wants I, it, though. Science <laughs> wants it. That's what we're doing. That's the project of science. It, we do want it. That's I, why we're doing this. Science, Pataglia. I, I, so I'd like to, to, to sort of go to a different, a little bit of a different point, and it's something that, that Logan had brought up, but we kind of, 
uh, glossed over it in some ways. Um, and it, it, you know, with the sort of the replacement of the loom and things like that. And, and I do think that the jobs element of this is, is an, is an important thing to consider in a way that's different than I think some of the other, um, like, uh, uh, revolutions before, I guess, um, we're now, you know, our economy is very service oriented and I feel like there's the thing that I always worry about and, and Logan and I have fought about sort of the self-driving car and then you're going to get rid of all the truckers and all this stuff. And it's like, well, what do those truckers do? And, you know, we're not, I, you know, I, I worry that a lot of these automating a lot of these things and, and, uh, between the, the, the illustration and, and like you guys said, like photography killed sort of stock, cheap stock photography killed illustration for killed the, the bulk of illustration jobs because, you know, it used to be you magazines had illustrations in them. You, I mean, heck you could even occasionally get a freelance, uh, job doing illustration for a website good good luck doing that now i've seen so many you know ai ai things on those but um you know even with the chat gpt now like you're all these crappy low-level like derivative blogs that people get paid to do like or that's all gone because why bother paying someone when you can do it for free or cheaply on these ai things and i i just wonder where all that displacement goes and i don't know I don't know that our economy can handle that. Like, like in, in, so, and to tie this together in abolition, of man and issues, what three, uh, two and two three, and three. Yeah. you know, way, you way to bring, way, way, way to bring it back to the product. We're selling yeah. the book. <laughs> we're selling the book. But, but, but this is a mini series. Yeah. yeah the dystopian. Fu- there's a hardcover coming out, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the dystopian future that you posit in there, everyone's basically on a UBI because there's nothing for people to do. And so they're kind of doing meaningless tasks. Um, and you know, I, I ah, think that meaningless. <laughs> I yeah. think that the UBI is. I, I think. I, I mean, how do we avoid that? And I don't think that that's necessarily good for people psychologically. I, I, I think it's probably bad. <laughs> so. Yeah, we're running. We're running the gambit. the The gambit is. The gambit is that we're going to achieve a techno socialist utopia where everything's provided for everyone and we're free to run around being meaning generating creatures. The risk that we're running is once we create that society, the first people who are going to benefit from it are the very, very wealthy. And they have no need for the rest of us anymore because the AIs can take care of everything, <laughs> including now we understand entertainment, yes. right? Like they, the AI will be able to generate movies and all that stuff. I don't know when, but entertainment, sex, all of that stuff will be automated. And the only reason the elite need us right now as consumers and producers is to get to the point where we've made the technology sufficient enough to sustain them without the rest of us. That's the gambit that we're running um, at the most like big conspiratorial level. Now, so are we going to get, So this is like the worst form of socialism. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say this. Is, so I assume in this uh, socialist world, we all have to watch Marvel movies on an infinite loop. No, 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 you won't be there. There will be like 20 wealthy people who are sitting there getting jerked off by an AI robot that's generating a movie for them. And they've, 
they've done away with the rest of us because we're no longer necessary as the components to build that. The you other part no, of that gambit you, is what only, Matt you, said. Right. <laughs> uh, sorry, you, you only have to watch. The only thing you have to watch is whatever the hell you want to watch. You will just say it. And your box will make it for you <laughs> instantaneously while dinner is is cooking. Uh, it will be Matt Kibbe's special movie uh, starring uh, him and Winona Ryder. Uh, and uh, How'd all, you know? How's that? all new music by the Grateful Dead that never existed before. You can choose what era of Jerry that you want. You want to have like uh, a certain kind of solo in there. You can just you can just dial all this in, and it all just happens. The length of it dictated. It can you can wrap it up quickly let it keep on going <laughs> all those things are going to be happening and the thing is is that from a from a you know free the people perspective all of these things uh, are of course accessible by the people who make it you know they're whatever back end is going to happen it, it, this is not like a fantasy like we've been talking about this for like six months now all of these components now exist it's putting them all together into the same box and having more processing power that's the and, limitation. And until we get there, don't imagine that it's democratizing or any or or more transparent like the NFTs and blockchain. They're selling it as transparency. The internet was supposed to democratize and make it more transparent. It's the biggest power shift we ever saw. It, it came with all these democratizing components, but you know, um, yeah, Facebook's totally transparent. They'll they'll show you everything they've got, but it's such an overwhelming overload of data. You have to have Facebook and Google's technology to fucking interpret it. So transparency and democracy are always now just uh, smoke up your ass. <laughs> I want to I go back. Power. So well, since you... since the patron saint of everything that's beautiful, Jerry Garcia, has been invoked, <laughs> I, feel, I feel obligated to, to, to um, tell a story about the Grateful Dead. And this goes back to Bataglia's point about, like, what happens to people under these these seismic shifts in technology that that make certain um, um, crafts obsolete, and and this this is an old story. Uh, you guys are all probably too young to understand this, but there was a time when the Grateful Dead didn't make a dime off of their music. They made a dime off of performing their music, um, and had this radical idea that they would allow their fans to record the music and to share it with other fans and and they were they were giving away their product so to speak and and it was um an innovation that perhaps they didn't even appreciate at the time because at the time you had to get a record contract and you made your money by by letting that third party have a ha, let you have a piece of those profits for the work that you did and they didn't like that so they they gave it away and they they created a different way to make a living, which was not just performing live, but like building a, a community. And by the time Jerry Garcia died, um, they were a fortune, whatever. They're, they were a huge money-making machine. Um, and they did it um, not by selling music, but by, by, but by creating an experience. And I think um, to, the, to, the, to the question, Sean, that you originally raised, Am I going to be able to make a living as an artist, which is my chosen profession? I think that the the answer we will discover is going to be, you know, rethinking, you know, what it means to be an artist and rethinking what it means to 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 add value to people's lives. And and I don't think we could all speculate as what that is, but we don't we don't know until we 
actually see that shift. And and this this I'm sort of making Logan's point. Um, it looks like you're putting a bunch of people out of business. The light bulb put the candle makers out of business essentially, but it was okay because something else happened. Let's let Logan make a point. How are these future hypothetical wealthy people who run everything? How are they wealthy if none of their customers have any money because they've all been put out of jobs by the, by AI? Where are they getting this money from? They don't need money. They 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 need technological capability and money and capital and producing and consuming is the machine by which all of this innovation will happen. And you the the gambit we're running is we're trying to get rid of the need for money. And there's two ways that can go. That can either, and the most likely way it will go is the people who currently have the money have the power and the access to the technological advancements, so they'll be able to hoard it for themselves. If it goes the way that we hope it goes, it will be the techno-socialist utopia where we all benefit from it and no one needs to work. All of the jobs are automated you know, food will be produced and delivered and all of those things. So money, money is just part of the, 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 it gets us there, but the, the end goal is a world without money. It's just, it's who's going to benefit from it. And then I think if we win, if we win, then we're in the state that Matt's describing, which I do agree with Matt. I, I think that the majority of people won't know what to do with themselves. And as someone who's extremely creative and always has been and always had projects to work on and is extremely self-disciplined and spent the majority of my life only needing to work 12 hours a week to, to pay the bills. Uh, I'll tell you that I woke up every morning and laid in bed depressed trying, even though I had projects to do, I would sit there for about 45 minutes to an hour every morning thinking about what, about what I was planning on doing that day was exciting enough for me to get out of bed and get going. Once I got going, it was okay. But uh, you know, I don't want to like brag or pat myself on the back, but I do think I, me and Sean and you guys are exceptions in the sense that, that self-discipline and will and stuff. And if even me had that kind of reaction to being given that much freedom, I worry. Yeah. I, I, I worry very much. And that's what abolition of man issues two and three are about is what do we do when everything's taken care of? Like psychologically, what do we do with that? And I just don't think that we're ever going to get to a point where humans have nothing to offer one another in terms of services or, or goods or values. And it's like, there's always going to be something that you can want another human to do for you. I just don't think that's going to happen. And I don't see any evidence that that's ever going to happen. <laughs> the robot will do it, buddy. It will blow you. They already got that. <laughs> yeah. So. You, you say that you say that, but uh, look look at the the socialization changes that we've had. Just a few years of increased uh, uh, online behavior. I mean, people talk about Twitter as being a, cess, a cesspool of of infighting and stuff, but it's not. You know, t it's just the format that's exa exaggerated. It. The 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 yeah. reality is is that when you are facing somebody uh, with a screen as a barrier, that you don't act the same way. Uh, we we have a different kind of relationship to people than we than we used to. And and the 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 hand to hand, uh, the me to my neighbor, uh, and you know, uh, talking uh, and having in kind of like a good faith engagements, those are the rarity. You know, those are the mm -hmm. things that uh, we, we're having less and less of. Um, yeah, but that's I I will agree with Logan on that one. We're what 
not quite 20 years into social media yet, we're still babies. So, and, and the technology around social media is going to evolve. Like one of the things that I find actually heartening about what the way Zuckerberg talks about the metaverse is he's saying a lot of that stuff is because we can't see it. They're trying to get technology back to augmented or virtual reality where social media is a face-to-face -face virtual presence at least. Like I realized when we got all that heat on our channel for AI for like two weeks, um, one of the things is, is because it's not face-to-face -face and because there's a sense of it being public, people think because it's in public, I have the right to step in which is crazy though, because like if they heard me and you talking at a cafe and they were like, fuck you, buddy, like it would start a fight. <laughs> so there's this assumption that- You don't do that? Internet, <laughs> no. Or like that you can just shout down a speaker at an event, you know, those, those are because of the text-based format of it. And as we move to a more audio visual culture, where you're in a place and it's just the two of you engaging instead of in a public that gives this false sense of publicity. We may move past that. Uh, hey I do think we're just not old enough as a creature yet to deal with the new tech. Your description of the metaverse. Oh, hold on. Your description of the metaverse describes the hellscape I want to draw in my next book, by the way. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree. Social media itself is evidence that there's huge demand for human interaction that's, you know, needs to be filled. And I don't see that going away anytime soon. I mean, look at the fact that people can make a living, make a good living playing video games online and having people watch them. Who would have imagined that could have happened 20 years ago? That's insane. And like, yeah, I just like we have to be humble and have some humility and thinking we don't know what the future is going to hold. But like there's always these new new ways of making money emerging that involve human interaction. And I think the assumption that like, oh, we just we won't we won't interact with humans anymore. There'll be no demand for that. The machine will do everything. Um, I just don't see any evidence for that. And it's it seems like people are always creative and coming up with new ways of uh, of interacting with each other and, and finding ways to satisfy each other's demands. Quick, quick correction on that. There was a Twitch data dump that uh, uh, indicated the the uh, tiers of payment on the different people, and uh, it is insane, absolutely insane. It's something like 98% of them are making nothing, uh, and as you get up to this teeny, teeny, tiny sliver at the top, the very top people, the celebrities who are Twitch celebrities, yes, video game celebrities, who are raking it in <laughs> uh -huh. and, and who provide the model for the rest of the platform for everybody else. This is actually a, a pretty central argument to uh, Carson's view of the end result of the sort of generative stuff, which is the, you know, the idea of the the uh, content apocalypse. That basically everybody is a maker, and everything just squeezes out everything else. You know, I'm I'm sorry, Logan, what were you saying? But that's true with every form of art. Like like 99% of bands make no money. 99% of painters make no money. That's all. Ninety-nine percent of poets make no money. Ah, but but see, this is not the case though. Prior to the Industrial Revolution, uh, because I mean, and and this is inarguable. Everybody that had an education knew how to play the piano. Everybody who had an education knew how to draw a map. Cartography was a skill that, if you were an educated person uh, in uh, Britain in the 1800s, you were expected as a as a lady to know how to draw a map and to paint uh, on a on a piece of china and play the piano and what happened and, and there were musicians who went from town to town or stayed in their own location and, and were able to make a living doing something that was satisfying to them but what happened is as soon as you can record sound as soon as you can take this thing and disseminate it it wiped out uh indigenous music virtually worldwide <laughs>
people had to struggle to recover uh, indigenous music that was literally wiped out. Reggae killed African music. I mean, this is this is a this is a fact. I know this is a kind of weird thing for me to say. <laughs> reggae killed indigenous African music because reggae was so infectious and became so populated, and people could just pass tapes around, and the reggae beat wiped out large swaths of music in areas that had never had recorded music before. This is this is a stone cold fact. Uh, and and similarly, when you have a recording of someone who is one of the greatest uh, singers of all time, let, let's just let's just say Pavarotti for for sake of argument. Uh, let's say Pavarotti. Why are you going to learn how to be an opera singer when you can listen to Pavarotti long dead anytime that you want to? Well, like, that's this is the this is the world that we enter into is where everything is that everything is that and that can generate more and then we have endless Pavarotti. I thought I thought you were going to invoke Taylor Swift. Hey, can, can, I, can I interrupt? And, and I think we should I think we should pivot. And Logan, I'll give you the first shout because I think Logan and I are going to answer all of these ridiculous arguments in the second half of this podcast, and and we're going to pivot to living the line. And you guys will will reintroduce us. But uh, before we switch over to that, why don't we have some shameless product plugs? before AI destroys all of our jobs so that, <laughs> that we can buy some uh, comic books. Pataglia, you got something, right? Uh, yeah, I have um, House on Fire coming out in March from Living the Line. Uh, so you can order it wherever you buy books. Um, it's it's I, I think it's the best thing I've ever, like, I mean, it's my first graphic novel. And well, I hope so. <laughs> I, th I think it's, I think it's. You did something better. Yeah, you didn't show it to me. <laughs> Yeah, don't, don't say that in front of the publisher, dude. <laughs> I, I, I'm. It might be the best thing I've done. It's okay. I, I think it's. I think um, uh, not to throw around the word meaning, but I think it's a meaningful book. I think it's important for the time. Um, and uh, I, you know, I think that people, people who follow us at Free the People, also, you know, I think you, it, it talks about a lot of the, you know, it. You'd like it's, it. it. <laughs> I'll, I'll sell it for you, Matt. It's 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 gonna be one of the most important pieces of the emotional consequences of COVID. Yeah. Matt addresses the emotional consequences of COVID in a way that, as as someone who's now has a partner who has had long COVID since September, um, Matt. When I first read the book, like I liked it. It was a cool sci-fi book dealing with COVID. As someone who's now living through what those characters are living through in terms of what a caretaker will do. I, I can't, I, I can barely read it. And we are living in a world where a significant amount of people are now ex experience the emotional conflict at the center of that story. And that's going to make it, I think one of the emotion, most emo emotionally important books of this decade in terms of the, the topic that it's covering. So that's why you should buy it. <laughs> I, I appreciate that sales pitch. By, by the yes. way, where 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 do you buy it? Do you buy it at Living Line or do you buy it on Amazon? How does the comic market yeah, work? We're we're, uh, we're distributed uh, in three different ways, and so uh, you know we're a very small publisher. I say we. I'm talking about myself. <laughs> uh, I have freelancers that I can hire when I need people uh, to do stuff quicker, but I have you know the skills of a publisher, and we have a distributor uh, that does comic stores, uh, which is Diamond Comics. And then we have a distributor that does bookstores, which is DBD, Diamond Book Distribution. And they can do 
they sell to any English language bookstore. So it has distribution in Europe. It has distribution uh, all over the United States, Canada, wherever you can buy an English bookstore, including certain river themed uh, websites, uh, certain, you know, <laughs> archery themed uh, stores that have that really like red and white, uh, you know, candy stripe combo. Uh, and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Buildings yeah. that house cows owned by and and yeah people can buy it from living the line uh, books.com as well uh but uh but yeah uh, we we uh we we're, we get we get a, we get around um but well, I'd say if you if you saw books sean and matt both get more money so. <laughs> that's true if you saw other... the all we have documentary which i think was 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 a it was a piece that we did that we did at free the people i don't remember when but um which was it was documenting sort of the ramifications of COVID and the response to COVID on a New York bar. Um, you know, House on Fire is sort of an extension of it. It's sort of a further extension of 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 that sort of line of inquiry. So, Scare, creepily, it it is completely believable to me, and that's um, I don't want to be blackpilled since all you guys are, <laughs> but. Uh, I'm going to white pill all you guys in the next pod. <laughs> Wait, I know blue pill and red pill. What's <laughs> you're going to have to explain this. <laughs> well, we got to wait till the next pod. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank uh, you guys. And we're going to, we're going to pivot to oh, uh, the, living the line. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Abolition of man. Yes. Which by abolition which of man. You guys. Also. Oh yeah. And that will be coming out in a deluxe hardcover that will be easy to get through all of the, the venues that Sean's talking about this yeah. summer. But you can buy you can buy the individual issues. Still, uh, we have some mm -hmm. copies of one and a few copies of the other ones at livingthelinebooks.com. If you're interested, and I will send a bundle of them to you. And uh, yeah, probably we should wave those around in the future uh, at the beginning of a discussion rather than. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we'll start the next pod by waving them all around. All right. Thanks for watching. If you liked the conversation, make sure to like the video, subscribe, and also ring the bell for notifications. And if you want to know more about Free the People, go to freethepeople.org.